But I do want to ask you this afternoon and ask you brethren around the world as we begin this sermon to wake up. Wake up. An awful lot of God's people, our ministers reported, are in a kind of a lukewarm condition and they're kind of somnolent and they're not stirred up at all. And because of that, I think a number have guilt feelings and feel that God is not with them or God's not going to hear their prayers or something. And yet if we're fired up and recognize that God is not way off, God is imminent, and one thing after the other that he has talked about is happening, then we can be more zealous in our prayers and we can be more zealous in our lives. So we do need to be stirred up and we do need to wake up and prepare for the kingdom of God. Many of God's people are weak. They are lethargic. And they're seemingly unaware that we're right at the very end of the end times. And that's very hard for many people to understand. Are you personally, think about this, are you personally awake and enthusiastic about God, about the work of God, and about the second coming of Jesus Christ very soon? Ask yourself those questions, because it's easy to let down. I can let down very easily, and God seems way off, and so can you. But we do need to be stirred up in the right way, and God wants us to be stirred up, as I'm sure you all know. Back in Luke 21, let's read the very words of Jesus Christ about this. Luke 21, and beginning in verse 7. They asked Christ, Teacher, when will these things be? He was talking about the total destruction of the temple. And uh, what will be the sign these things are about to take place? And then he said, take heed that you're not deceived. And he talked about false prophets. He talked about wars and commotions. He talked about then, as you know, uh, wars and then world wars. And then he said in verse 11, there will be great famines, or I'm sorry, great earthquakes, not just any earthquake, but great earthquakes. And brethren, those things have not happened yet, as you know. And they have not, especially have not happened in Israel. We had a terrible earthquake out in Indonesia some time back. And we've had some in Mexico and elsewhere, but not right here. And yet the emphasis in the tribulation is that the final events are going to hit Israel even worse than the rest of the world. They are going to happen in various places. God doesn't say just in Israel. But they are going to happen. Great earthquakes in various places and famines. Lack of food. And that must include drought. Drought, you know, lack of rain leads to lack of food, and I'll be talking about that. And pestilences, and that's disease epidemics, of course. And there will be fearful sights. And, of course, there it talks about terror, as you have explained to you so many times. The Greek word there means terror, and that can include terrorism and terrorist acts that Jesus could well have been talking about, and certainly including right in this statement. When you understand the original Greek language that Jesus spoke in or the original Aramaic as inspired in the Greek and great signs from heaven, then he says we would be persecuted and certainly we're going to be persecuted. And then he said down in verse 22, for these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. When these things begin to happen, it will be the beginning of all the events you read about in the prophecies of the Old Testament that have an end time fulfillment all things it's going to be the most awesome time in the history of the universe in that sense up till now certainly affecting human beings at least but woe to those who are pregnant to those who are uh, nursing babies in those days for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people 
And this people certainly includes Israel as well as the Jewish people who were typically punished in 70 A.D. But it's going to be the entire house of Israel as Scripture after Scripture after Scripture tells us in the Old Testament prophecies which were inspired and inspired by this same person because Jesus Christ inspired them. God inspired them through the Word, Jesus Christ. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, be led away captive to all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles. So once again, we're going to see a terrible war in the Middle East until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth distress of nations. So people will be distressed. And a lot of your worldly relatives and friends are going to be tormented. And they will be distressed as we'll have riots in our streets, race riots, food riots, other kinds of riots. We will. I'm sorry, but these things are going to happen. People will be all upset. What's going on? I don't understand this. Well, we need to understand ahead of time so we do not have anxious thought about it in a wrong way. Perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring. And certainly we saw some of that in Katrina hitting the Gulf Coast and these four hurricanes coming through Florida. And that's not the end. That was just a tiny, tiny beginning. Men's hearts failing them from fear because they don't have that peace of mind. And the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. So God is going to shake this nation and shake this earth. And the heavens and the events that are going to hit us will be affecting, of course, the skies, the sun, moon, and stars, the tidal waves, everything. Now, when these things begin to happen, what are we to do? Be fearful? No. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So in our own hearts and minds, we should pray to God. We should study the Bible regularly and have the mind of God talk with God, walk with God, commune with God, and then we can have that peace that passes all understanding, even in a terrible time, as we look up and see that Christ is coming. And he spoke to them about the parable of the fig tree. When it blossoms, you know the things are very near. So likewise, when you see these things happening, and these things are beginning to happen in a small way, not a major way yet, but let's realize, brethren, maybe more than you do, how many things are already happening. Know that the kingdom of God is near. It's not way off. It's going to come in the lifetimes of the vast majority of you. And I don't want to set an exact date. I've sometimes said 5 to 15 years or 25 or whatever. So I'm not trying to pin it down to an exact date. I think it's going to be a lot sooner to 5 years than 25 years. I'll just give you that much hint, as most of you know. But I think it is going to come in the lifetimes of most of you and perhaps my lifetime and perhaps even the lifetime of Mr. Aparty and my friend and others of us who are older. It may come even in our lifetimes as Christ speeds up these events. So when the fig trees are budding, you know that summer is near and the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. All these things. Heaven and earth will pass away. Yes, the heavens as we know them, the sun, moon, and stars are going to be moved out of their present orbits. And the earth will be burned with fire and will not be the same earth eventually. He said those things can pass away. Those are terrible things, powerful things. But my words will not pass away. 
That's what the Son of God said. These things will happen. But take heed to yourselves. So it is easy here in the July, June, July period of summer to let down and not to pray and not to study and not to fast and say, well, all things continue as they always were. Take heed that your hearts not be weighed down by carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. We get involved in our daily activities, so we're not stirred up to the degree we should be. And that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare, a little trap that snaps on a small animal, on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So we're to be aware of that. Don't let that happen to you. Be alert. Be watching. And that should not make you lose sleep. That should make you realize Christ's coming is that much sooner. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. You see, you can escape. There is a way to escape. To escape all these things will come on to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So Christ is telling us what to do, and we're to be aware of being bogged down by the cares of this life. We are to be stirred up. We are to be alert. We are to be watching. We are to be praying constantly. We are to be crying out to God. And if we're doing that, we can have a real peace, a genuine peace, not just a worked-up peace. You know, uh, Dale Carnegie and others of that sort try to tell you to think positive thoughts. And Emile Couet, the famous French philosopher and so forth, said, well, he says, look in the mirror every morning and say, every way and every day and every way, I'm getting better and better. (laughs) Well, that's not true. You're trying to hypnotize yourself. So don't have a false confidence. Have a real confidence. And that confidence is in the God of the Bible and what he said and so on. I heard Emil Coway, or read him, refer to just a few days ago in the, in the Wall Street Journal. So some of the older writers still refer to him and that uh, uh, idea that he had. As you know, uh, Norman Vincent Peale had the power of positive thinking. And a lot of those things are good. They're not bad, but up to a limit. But you can think positively all you want to, and if the atomic bomb is coming down, your positive thoughts aren't going to help very much unless you're really close to God. And I think I've told you this, but one old Baptist preacher said, well, he said, I find the Apostle Paul appealing, but I find Dr. Peel appalling. <laughs> so anyway, that kind of false confidence uh, won't help very much. You've got to have the genuine confidence in God. So do not think that all things are the same, brethren, because things are moving along. Turn with me back to Second Peter, if you would. Second Peter near the end of your Bible. Here he says in verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you the second letter in which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the things which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. We have a lot of scoffers, and frankly, we have scoffers attending church. I know that. Some people come, well, everything just goes along and nothing ever happens, blah, blah, blah. Scoffers in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They don't see anything big happening, you see, yet. 
For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And he goes on. Now, brethren, that happened. That helped us understand if we're willing to see how they find uh, all kinds of of, uh, geological evidence way up in the high Andes and other mountains that used to be down in the ocean. They find various evidence of fish-type creatures up there and so on that had lived in the past. And the fact that these earth falls were thrust way up and some terrible convulsions happened to the earth. And there was water over the whole earth. But the modern scientists like to overlook all that. We used to study many books on that in Ambassador College and saw that that part was true. God is alive, but more recently, and I don't want to worry about telling me about this, but more recently, you have heard me say again and again, Mr. Herbert Armstrong, when I was in college, talked about the British Empire going down, and they have gone down, and there is no British Empire He talked again and again about the British and the Americans losing our sea gates. And out of ten sea gates, nine or ten, I need to add them all up, but at least nine or ten sea gates, all but two are gone. And the only two remaining are the Falkland Islands Islands and uh, Gibraltar, and that's it. The Strait of Hormuz is gone, Suez is gone, the Bab el-Mandam is gone, the Malacca Strait is gone, the uh, Panama Canal is gone, and so on. All over the earth, these sea gates are gone taken away from the United States and Britain. And then, as you know, he talked more recently, and many of you older brethren heard him say this back in the 80s before he died, that the Russian boot, when it is planted, very seldom leaves. But he said they are going to leave the Eastern European countries. Those countries have to break loose from the Soviets to bring about the Eastern leg of the beast. And sure enough, about three years after he died, those things began to happen. They didn't happen while he lived. That didn't make any difference. These things Paul talked about, Peter talked about, even Jesus Christ talked about, did not all happen during their human lifetimes. But they happen. And those things have happened that Mr. Armstrong talked about. And we were the church, the only church, talking about those things, the church of God. And those ministers who learned those things from Mr. Armstrong that have not watered them down, not turned away, are still understanding those things and that basic truth. Those are huge things affecting hundreds of millions of people, vast sea gates all over the earth and all the rest of it. The great God is alive and he is moving. Now, there are several things underway right now. If I were to try to scripture and scripture for each one, I could be here till midnight. So I'm going to list them. Some of you may want to take notes. You don't have to. But I'm listing ten, ten perils now. Ten terrible disasters that are beginning to take place. Not finished. Right now. First, we have, and I'll read some scriptures and, and clippings on these, but I'm not going to try to read one for every one. You've read the recent coworker letter showing how we've had a terrible drought in the United States. And, of course, we here read about this. Another clipping just came out. The wrath of 2007, America's great drought. America is facing the worst summer drought since the Dust Bowl years of the Great Depression, or perhaps worse. And this is from the World Net uh, June 11th, just about 12, 13 days ago. He says, a lot of people think climate change and ecological repercussions are 50 years away, uh, this uh, environmental science to the University of Arizona said. 
He told the New York Times, quote, but it's happening now in the West. It's happening now. It's already beginning. So these things are happening, and we're in a terrible condition of drought, and I gave you that in my uh, co-worker letter, and I guess, how many of you have the co-worker letter that just came out a few days ago? Good, most of you do. Remember, you read that article from the USA Today showing the terrible drought that one-third, one-third of the United States right now is in a condition of drought. We're having certain limited water rationing right south here in Union County. They don't want the people to water their lawns or do this or that. You've read that. In Los Angeles, they're rationing water already. Right now, various parts of the country are already experiencing water shortages right now. So understand that, brethren. These things are not way off. They're already beginning to happen. And, of course, out in Australia, they had the worst drought in 1,000 years, as I explained, and it's underway. And yet, as some of the clippings came out, here's from the one of the papers out there, the Herald, steady rain in Hawkeye Bay and Gisborne, that was in New Zealand, brought relief to farmers who were last being warned of the worst drought in 125 years after a record dry in May. Then the clipping goes on to say, the rain is too little and too late for many farmers. And the same thing in Australia, a number of the clippings are brought out. So there was some rain, but it was too little and too late to really turn the tide of these droughts. These droughts are right now, brethren, without me reading all the clippings, and I have them, affecting vast parts of the United States, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, the Ukraine, and Ukraine, remember, was the breadbasket of Russia for many years. That's where they grazed the row of the wheat. And the Wall Street Journal's been bringing out how the wheat prices have been shooting way up. And as you know, corn prices had already been shooting up because of the use of corn and ethanol. And so as the, these things work through the food chain, food prices are going up. And that's going to bring about inflation. And all of this eventually is going to bring about food shortages, drought, and our use of corn even to keep our SUVs and all our big uh, vehicles and trucks going along and all that kind of thing. So these things are happening. Another uh, point, point two, the growing power of Islam. I preached on that many, many times and written about it, as you know. And we now have 1.2 billion Muslims hating our guts. And it's getting worse, and it is not getting better. And as most of you know, if you read the newspapers, again, without me reading a bunch of clippings, you know that the number of deaths in Baghdad and all around Iraq continue in a terrible fashion. Just recently, in one day, they had this blow-up in, in a mosque there, uh, a, a, a Shiite mosque, that killed 87 people just in one big truck bomb, I think, that hit it. Horrible things continue to happen. And it's hurting us, and it's going to turn the hearts of the Arabs and the Muslims more and more against us because as we fight those terrorists, we accidentally kill some civilians, and then they say, look at you, what you're doing, and then they all turn against us. And that's what's beginning to happen all over the Middle East. The third thing that's happening is about 12 million illegal aliens have invaded the United States. And I'm not against our Mexicans at all. I love our Mexican brethren and all the rest, and they know that. These are illegals I'm talking about, people whose first act in coming here is to break the law, to break the law. 
And I think you understand that, and I hope all of our brethren who are Latino can understand that too. That's not the way to do. They would not want us doing that down in Mexico or in Argentina or anywhere else. But that's what they're doing, and they're swarming over here, and it's about 80 to 90 percent of some of the types of deaths and destruction that are taking place in a number of our southwest cities. They have, I can read the statistics, are from these illegals. They're causing all kinds of problems in our nation, and they should not be here. And yet they are taking over. And just the other day on the radio, I was hearing them quote, they had, they had the oral comments on the radio, some of these leaders out there, and they're telling among their community, the Hispanic community out in Phoenix and in Los Angeles and San Francisco, this land is ours. We had it, and you took it away, and we are going to get it back. That's what they're saying, and we're letting them do that. We have always said before anyone who, who advocates the overthrow of the United States would be thrown in jail. Our politicians are terrified. They want the Latino vote so bad they can't stand it, you know, so they won't do anything. They know they're taking over. They know these problems are getting worse. They know the increasing hundreds of billions of dollars we're having to spend to take care of them, to hospitalize them, to take care of all the other needs, and they just don't know what to do because they want their vote. That's one of the problems of democracy. Democracy causes a nation to go to the lowest common denominator, whatever gets the vote. The politician who promises the most, the most help, the most money, the most this or that usually wins. So that's what's happening. And it's going to affect our nation terribly. They tend to take it back. Now, God did not say that Israel would fall all at once under Mr. Armstrong. And he didn't say it just this way. I'm not blaming him, but as a church, we used to feel and indicate, and I preached, that the tribulation would come. And I preach sermons like this, and I've heard Mr. Armstrong and Dr. Hay and Norman Smith and others say this. In effect, you know, you'll be sitting one day, and all of a sudden you'll hear a sound, and boom, Los Angeles blows up. You know, some of you older brethren kind of remember those sermons. That'd be the beginning of the tribulation. Well, God doesn't say that. He shows in ancient Israel, when they fell, which is a type of the final attack, parts of Israel were taken over for a while by Assyria, then more parts, and then more parts, and finally the whole nation was taken over. It was taken over in stages. So these illegal aliens may, in fact, take over parts of Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, and other states before the final tribulation. Are we against the Mexicans? No. Some of us are part Mexican here altogether. Are we against the Germans? They're going to initiate or be the leaders of the coming United States of Europe. I'm partly German. See, all right. And one of my best friends on this earth, as I've said for decades, was Dr. Herman Hay, whom I love to this day. And he was German. He preached some of the strongest sermons against Nazism and Hitler that I have ever heard. You know, stand your hair on end. He knew what the way they thought and what they were going to do. Very efficient when they term that German efficiency in the wrong way. But these things are beginning to happen. So the Germans and the U.S. of Europe will finish us off, but maybe the Hispanics and our Southwest will weaken us. I mean, those not in the church, but those who are carnal, and they don't understand. Did we take that land? Yes. But did God give it to us? Yes. At the time, he was beginning to bless America and give us this land from sea to shining sea. 
Any nation of any size has always overcome certain native people in becoming the nation they are. You know, you look back and undoubtedly the, the uh, people of France, you know, uh, Reuben, when they came in, there were probably some native people and they ran them off and took over the land. And the Germans, when they came from the Middle East into Germany, they probably ran some other more native people away. You know what I mean? It's always been that way all over the earth. But God guided that. But they don't understand that because God has not called them. So our greatest persecutors are going to be not just those people, but people of false religions who do not understand. Why? Because they're mean? No, because God has not called them. They can't help it. They don't understand. So we're not mad at anybody. We're just saying what's going to happen. But it's beginning to happen right now in front of our eyes. Point number four A number of articles have come out recently, and I think I read you one a while back, showing that President Bush is the most disliked president in international circles of any president in American history, internationally. And what does that do to us? If our president is disliked and made fun of all over Europe and the Middle East and parts of uh, Central and South America and Asia, it means the United States is looked upon much less because he represents us. And that certainly ties in with Leviticus 26 and uh, uh, verse uh, 19, as you know. And I can read that to you here again because this ties in with a lot of things, of course, that we understand. Turn back to Leviticus 26. And here it says, as God begins to deal with us and to, of course, bring us down, he says, after this, after we have already been punished by terrorism, as he says up in verse 15 and 16, and uh, you'll sow your seed in vain, we're going to have drought, down in verse 17, verses 16 and 17, and after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you sevenfold more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power. We're not respected. Our president is not respected. And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, repeating the drought and the famine that we're going to be having and we're already starting to enter into. I will break the pride of your power. That's already beginning to happen in a number of ways, as most of you uh, know and and deeply understand. Uh, Another part would be a fifth point, tying in with point number four. Our dollar is going down. Our dollar has lost about 60% of its value against the euro. Our dollar has lost about 60% of its value against certain other nations over the last number of years. And we do need to understand that. It's a very serious situation, brethren, a very serious situation as the dollar goes down and these other nations go up. So God indicates that, of course, he's going to bring us down, and that's another way he's going to break the pride of our power. The sixth point is sort of beneath the surface, the uh, disease epidemics. The prophesied disease epidemics are getting ready to get to uh, get underway. Now, I, I can't prove that to you unless I read just clipping after clipping that I have, but one I have that I might read to you, uh, part of at least, from the Wall Street Journal. And this came out just a few weeks ago. Uh, the, well, in fact, just a few, six, eight, just about two or three weeks ago. Evolution at work, watching bacteria grow drug-resistant. Day by day, doctors unwillingly help the bacteria infecting their young heart patient evolve. The more intensively they treated his affliction with antibiotics, 
the more microbes resisted the therapy. Without reading all this technical article, they showed that these diseases are developing more and more immunity to the drugs that we're using. And all over the medical field from various sources, you can find clippings showing that it's beginning to be a major concern, a major concern of the medical community as they realize that as each year goes by, and so many doctors have overused penicillin, overused a lot of these other drugs, the microbes, the, the diseases d develop an immunity to those drugs. So when the great uh, disease epidemics start to happen, they won't have very much effect. And what does that mean? That means people will have to trust God. They will have to trust God for healing, and there will be no healing at all. So we have to understand that as another major uh, danger that is facing us. And then uh, a seventh problem, as you all know, China is growing much stronger. And again, I have a whole, as uh, Monica knows, a whole file on China, probably 15 to 35 clippings showing their military is getting stronger, their economy is growing stronger. They have about 1.3 trillion with the T, dollars in reserve, the most dollars reserve of any nation in human history. And by pulling the plug, they could bring our dollar down in a matter of hours. They just simply start disengaging themselves from the American economy, selling our bonds that they own, our treasury bills, and everything else. Do we think the Chinese all love us and they want us to be prosperous? Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. They don't hate us. They're taught to have a smile campaign. And when my wife and I were there, they were all smiling. But you read about the increasing military power that they're developing that's way beyond any defensive use. And you can see they're getting ready to spread their wings around the world, and they have made no bones about it. They want to be the preeminent power, not just in Southeast Asia, but the entire Earth. That is a huge power that we don't talk about perhaps as much as we should. Point number eight our sins are increasing. And that's why all these things are coming upon us. Our sins are increasing. And as you know, the abortions continue, even though they have had this recent law uh, where the Congress has said they're going to per uh, stop these uh, partial birth abortion. Right now, as Dr. Dobson brought out in his latest letter, I perhaps should have brought that too, but I didn't want to spend the whole day reading clippings. <laughs> he brought out in this latest letter, Nancy Pelosi and uh, Hillary Clinton and a lot of these super liberal feminists are pressing right now for another law that would simply make it legal for every kind of abortion, that there will be no restrictions. They're trying to override that other law and get that through. They're trying to override the Supreme Court, in fact. They use the court to get this partial birth abortion stopped. When the court suits their purposes, they use the court. When the court does not suit their purpose, now they're trying to go back to Congress and get a universal law that there will be no prohibition on abortion for any reason whatsoever. You can murder your baby in any way you want to, for any reason you want to. Think about that. A woman's right to choose, they say, or as I would say, and I think God would say, a woman's right to murder. You can choose to be a mother or you can choose to be a murderess. That's how clear it is in God's Word when you think about it. 
But God is displeased with the nation that allows that horrible atrocity to continue where some 45 billion, I mean million, and I'll get ahead of myself here, 45 million unborn babies have been slaughtered ever since this Roe versus Wade thing was enacted. In the meantime, the homosexual community is continuing its march forward, if you want to call it forward or backward is a better term, and now they have a new law pending in the Massachusetts legislature. They're pushing that through to try to get marriage uh, between the queers approved, and various other states are going down the same road. As you know, all across this nation, every few days it seems like something new comes out on that. In the meantime, our adultery, our fornication is increasing. These sex clubs all over the nation, as Oprah Winfrey came out in her program a while back, how they have these, they're just all over the nation. And I won't describe it, but that kind of thing is going on, worse and worse. God looks down from heaven. The great God of Israel looks down from heaven. And what does he see? He sees the people even in this city right here where they go to church on Sunday But then what do they do the rest of the time? Maybe Saturday night, some of them go out to sex clubs. They can go to church and clap and pray and talk about the Lord. Happy, happy, happy. But they go home, and some of them beat their wives. Some of them commit adultery. Some of them are involved in great big uh, cheating schemes, you know, financial cheating schemes. They're great pillars of their church. And all this kind of thing comes out every few days one way or the other. So these things are happening in our nation, and they're getting worse. And God is not going to allow it for his people that much longer. So God knows. Point nine, in Russia, Putin, Vladimir Putin, has become a dictator, and he's becoming a very powerful dictator. And I think, as I read you part of the clipping a few weeks ago or commented on it, why they recently engaged in a type of cyber war on Estonia. And, of course, that's a very serious thing. They tried to simply wreck the computers over in this nation that was not going along with their program. And, of course, that's a very dangerous thing as well. And I think that you all know that uh, uh, those things are happening. So Russia is, of course, moving in that direction. And uh, we've got to watch that. They're, in a more, they're more dangerous now than they have been at any time since the close of the Cold War. And you need to watch Russia and watch Putin, who's becoming a dictator. And uh, a very serious thing, because they have more active atomic bombs and missiles ready to use, capable of destroying us, than any other nation on earth by by far. The nation of Russia under a dictator, Vladimir Putin. And so we do need to recognize the danger that is there. Another danger, a tenth danger, is right now, today, as you read about it constantly, millions of Protestant Christians, so-called Christians, and ministers are getting more and more aligned with the Roman Catholic Church, favoring things the Catholics are doing. And as you read it carefully, you can see it won't take much to get them to go right back home to Mother Rome. The stage is being set for that more powerfully and more continuously, I think, than most people realize. So all these things are happening, brethren, and I hope we can understand. Turn to Amos, if you would, in your Bible at this point, without me reading just more of those points. There are more things than that, but those are some of the major things. Not all of them. Those are some of the major things that are happening. Ten things to watch out for as they increase. Amos chapter 1, 
Here's this inspired prophecy that the New Testament quotes from as Scripture. And God says, The words of Amos, who is among the herdsmen of Tekoa, chapter 1, verse 1, which he saw concerning Israel. So he's writing here about Israel. And the thing I want all of you brethren to realize, and again, not just you in this room, but our brethren around the world, a lot of you need to study, and I, I could give a whole sermon, and perhaps should just a teaching sermon on this. But these scriptures apply to us. And as you read them carefully, you can see that they do apply to us. They are dual. There was a smaller partial fulfillment in some cases, you know, over 2,000 years ago. But the big final fulfillment is going to come on us. So he talks about this coming on Israel. And then as you read through the book of Amos, it may be interesting just to see some of this. He says in chapter 2, thus says, uh, uh, no, chapter 3, I'm sorry. He says, hear the word the eternal has spoken against you, O children of Israel. So he's not talking just about the Jews, as you'll see, against the whole family. Oh, not just the Jews, but all 12 tribes, which I brought up out of the land of Egypt. He didn't bring up just the Jews. He brought up the Ephraimites and the Manassites and the Reubenites and all the other peoples of Israel. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together? Unless they are agreed, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? And he goes on to show a trumpet is blown in the city. And will not the people be afraid? And God reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. God's true ministers will preach on these things. And we've read that part to you uh, many times, so I won't dwell on that here. Chapter 4. Hear this word, you cows, or as the Moffat has it, you fatted cows of Bashan, you women of high Samaria. He's talking about the society women of the United States and Britain who are all fat and happy and beginning to put down the poor people and join their husbands in that. Who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let's drink, let's have another cocktail party. The eternal has sworn by his holiness, behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish, fish hooks. In ancient times, they literally would put hooks like fish hooks around a person's body. So they didn't try to run off if they, if they were in captivity and being led down with a line of slaves that way. Those hooks would just simply gouge right into their body. They were cruel. And that's something the ancient Assyrians used to do regularly. And your posterity with fish hooks. In other words, your, your successors way on down. And that's down to us today, of course. And so he says down in verse uh, uh Six here, also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. So he means we don't have enough food to eat, not that we t- brushed our teeth real good. No, no food. And lack of bread, a drought and famine is coming in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Eternal. Notice verse 7, I also withheld rain from you. So God is going to withhold the rain, and he has been withholding the rain from one-third of our nation, brethren, Let's wake up. These things are beginning. Am I saying this is the last year? No. Is this the next of the last year? No. I think we have several more years. We may have 5 to 25 more years, as I've said, so I'm not trying to set an exact date. It may be only 8 or 10. But these things are going to get worse and worse and worse, and we're seeing the beginnings of some of these final plagues, in my opinion. 
I withheld rain. When there were still three months to the harvest, I made it rain on one city, and I withheld rain from another city. Now, I want you to remember that. We've said it. Here's where it comes from. You see the pattern in the Bible that God would cause too much rain or floods, you see, in one place and not enough rain in another place. And that's exactly what's been happening. They had terrible drought in this huge valley area of Australia where they grew the most crops, and then they had floods. But as some of the articles brought out, the floods sometimes washed away the topsoil. In other cases, some rain came but wasn't enough. So in the end, it often does more damage, you see. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Are there going to be water wars between Phoenix and Los Angeles? Yes, there already are. There have been for decades. I've been reading the Los Angeles Times as I lived out there. They're already having court decisions and fighting over the water from the Colorado River. And it's going to get much worse, much worse before it gets better because of our sins. Why? Because the Germans are bad? No. Because the Mexicans are bad? No. Because of our sins. God will use the Latinos to punish us in certain ways. God will use the Germans in the United States of Europe to bring us down in other ways. God will use the Chinese through the trade wars and currency manipulations to punish us in other ways. And God will directly use the weather and massive earthquakes to humble us in other ways. But the problem is what? Not these other people. The problem is our sins. And we have to understand and we have to repent, and then God will remove these plagues from us of all kinds of, of that come on us in all kinds of ways. I blasted you with blight, meaning lack of water, and mildew, too much water, you see. Some places were flooded, others didn't have enough. When your gardens were increased to vineyards and fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me, says the Eternal. So God describes how he's going to bring us down, and we do need to understand. Turn to chapter 5. Hear this word which I take up against you, this lamentation. O house of Israel, not the Jews, but all of Israel, the whole people of Israel, he said. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Eternal, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. One-tenth a tithe God may preserve. Most of you older brethren have seen, you know, you know the other scriptures that tell that that same thing may happen. Only one-tenth may live through some of these things. And so the city that goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the eternal house of God to the house of Israel. Here's the answer. Seek me. And brethren, as I've said, you don't just pray occasionally. You don't just say a bedtime prayer for five or ten minutes. You don't just read the Bible to read a couple of scriptures for, for solace. Like I used to read the 23rd Psalm or the Lord's Prayer or something like that back in the Methodist church. Just to have a nice encouraging psalm to read. No, you study the Bible. You say, God, teach me. Show me your will, O God. Lead me in your paths, as one of our scriptures says. And you cry out to God. Please, Father, help me understand. Please help me overcome. Please help me to really be like Jesus Christ. Please help me to get on fire for your kingdom. 
and for your work in preparing for your kingdom. Then God will hear an answer when you put your heart in your prayers. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel, which is a place of their pagan idols, nor Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity. And Bethel, another place of pagan idols, shall come to nothing. Seek the ever-living one, Yahweh. Seek the eternal and live, lest he break out like a fire. Where? Among the Jews? No. Lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph. Remember, you newer brethren, any of you, Genesis 48, our father Jacob, before he died, blessed the sons of Israel, and he had Joseph. Joseph brought his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to the aging Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And Jacob purposely crossed his hands and put his right hand, indicating the greater blessing, on Ephraim's head, even though Ephraim was the younger son. Manasseh would normally have had the greater blessing, but sometimes the younger son has the greater capacity. And God guided that. And then his left hand on Manasseh's head, and he said, Let my name be named on them, on Ephraim and Manasseh, our ancestors. And then he showed what would happen to them in the latter days. So this is going to be happening to the house of Joseph, our people, and devour it to fire with no one to quench it in Bethel. These things will happen. It says down in verse 10, They hate the one who rebukes in the gate. Are the people going to love me and love Mr. Ames and the other telecasters? No, we're not running it for any popularity contest. They're going to say, That Rod Meredith is getting up there and saying bad things about our nation. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with Jeremiah? Let's put him in the stocks, which they did. What's wrong with so-and-so? Many of God's prophets you know, were put in jail or stoned. And they're going to hate those who are preaching the truth. We've got to have the courage to go ahead and preach the truth anyway, brethren. And maybe God has given some of us a certain intensity for that purpose. I don't know. Using that natural thing we have and adding to it, we hope, through His Spirit. He says in verse 17, I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. He's talking again to us. You afflict the just and take bribes. Do you read of that almost every week about our officials taking bribes and twisting justice? Of course you do. You divert the poor from the justice at the gates. You read almost every week about some of these banks charging higher interest rates to some of the minorities. Some of our black brethren and Mexican brethren, you know, they have to pay more for a loan at the same bank. Why? Because the banks don't give them the same opportunity. And they take advantage of people in those ways. It's happening all through our society. It's a bad thing. God hates that. Therefore, the prudent shall be silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Most people are going to be afraid and not say anything. But I've got to say something. Our true ministers have got to say something. God says to us, cry aloud and show my people their sins. And we must do that even if we get killed in doing it. Seek good and not evil that you may live. So the eternal God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil. Don't just say, well, that's not too bad. Just a little bit of bad. No, hate evil. Love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be the eternal God of hosts will be gracious to whom? Who's he talking about? The remnant, the last generation of Joseph. Joseph, the father 
of Ephraim and Manasseh. So he is, brethren, as you can see, talking about us without question. Now let's go to chapter 9. I'd like to read the whole book, but just to give you kind of an overview that this is talking about us. Chapter 9, verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader rapes him who sows seed. In other words, it's going to be a tremendous harvest, a wonderful time. Tomorrow's world is coming, and we're helping prepare the way for that. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back. He's not might do it. He's going to bring back our people from slavery. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities that inhabit them. They're finally going to be coming back here to Charlotte area, to New York area, to parts of America and Britain where they've been taken captive and slaves out of here in prison ships and so on. And they'll be brought back. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land. And no longer shall they be pulled up. In ancient times, when ancient Israel went into slavery, were they ever pulled up again? Yes, they were. And they have been now uh, and will be again in the near future. But finally, this is showing the end time fulfillment. When Christ comes back, they will never again be pulled up. From the land that I've given them, says the eternal, your God. So these scriptures certainly do talk about us very, very definitely and very specifically. Notice back in Deuteronomy 28 now, and I have referred to some of this before, but let's understand this. Deuteronomy 28, brethren. He is here talking to our ancestors, the ancestors of Israel, the ancestors of Ephraim and Manasseh. And, of course, to all the peoples of Israel. He says in verse 1, Now, if you, it will come to pass, if you diligently, not half-heartedly, if you diligently obey the voice of the Eternal, your God, to observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you, that the Eternal, your God, will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And, brethren, He finally did that. Beginning about 1800, the British Empire expanded all over the earth, so they said the sun never set on the British Empire. And the pound sterling was the most powerful currency in the world. And the English language began to spread around the world and overtake the French as the language of education and culture and world commerce. That began to happen about 1800. And then as the United States came along, we began to be joining them in that. And after World War I, the banking capital, the banking center of the whole world, shifted from London to New York. And then the American dollar became the preeminent currency. And we were then, at that time, the greatest single nation on earth, kind of, kind of equal with the British Empire for a while until after World War II. Then the British Empire gradually went on down and America came on up. So by the mid-50s, we were the unchallenged greatest nation of the earth. I will set you on high. All these blessings shall come upon you. Blessed shall be you in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground. And he goes on to show every blessing. And then he says, down in verse 12, The Eternal will open to you his good treasure. God will bless us financially. 
and then our crops and so forth, the heavens to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand and you shall uh, lend to many nations. Who did lend to many nations? By far more than any other nation on earth in the last 50 to 75 years. The United States of America were the ones who instituted the Hoover Plan after World War I. We're the ones who instituted the Marshall Plan after World War II. Billions and billions of dollars to rebuild our enemies. We did love our enemies. We tried to help them get back on their feet again. But they're going to be the very ones who attack us at the very end. We know that. But that's what we did do. When I was over in Jordan back in 1963 with David John Hill on this educator's tour, we rounded the corner, of, and somehow we saw, I don't know what made us do it, but we wandered back in this uh, big uh, yard where the men were working and piling sacks. And uh, I wasn't a real emotional person. I've become a little more emotional in my real old age here. But I saw these sacks, and these men were loading them and putting on trucks, and it brought tears to my eyes as it got up close. It said wheat or whatever it was as a gift from the people of the United States of America, spelled out to help those people. And being way off from home, it just kind of hit me, you know, wow, here we are helping these people in the Middle East with all this food for nothing. We never ask any money. I know that. You know that. It came out of our tax dollars. We did it. I used to put half of my money in the Methodist Sunday School offering envelope. I didn't give very much, maybe a nickel and one or another, and later uh, maybe 10 cents, although 10 cents was worth a dollar back in those days. But I would put 10 cents in one part and 10 cents in the other, and half of it was for the local churches, and half of it was for the missionaries. And we usually talked about the starving Chinese in those days. We thought we were helping the starving Chinese. Well, of course, soon after that, they turned to communism, and they butchered and raped and killed all the uh, many of the missionaries and ran them out because they weren't really converted to true Christianity at all. And communism took over. But we did those things. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. But now we're having to borrow. We're the greatest debtor nation in the history of the earth. God has turned it totally around. Don't think things are not happening. They are happening. And the eternal will make you the head and not the tail. But now he's beginning to make us the tail, as you see. All right, now let's go on here to verse 15. But if it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the eternal your God, to obey his commandments, his statutes, his statutes include tithing, his statutes include the holy days, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Our cities are filled with crime and violence, and we're not safe. Curse shall be in the country. The drought is spreading. Curse shall be your basket and store your harvest. Curse shall be the fruit of your body. We have all these childhood diseases, and we don't understand why. And some of our children are born deformed far more than before, and we don't understand it. Curse shall be when you come in and go out, and the eternal shall send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do until you're destroyed. Why? Because you've turned away from God. Our nation spits in God's face, and we think we're getting away with it. We, we are not. As he says in verse 22, the eternal will strike you with consumption, fever, inflammation, severe burning fever. All kinds of things. We're getting, uh, as you know, tuberculosis now because of these aliens coming in, bringing these diseases we haven't had for generations. 
and AIDS is going to start sprouting forth again, and so on, and burning fever, and the sword, and scorching, and with mildew. In other words, a lack of rain in one case, and mildew, too much rain in another, which is already beginning to happen. The Eternal will change the rain of your land to powder. Terrible drought. The Eternal will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. And that's getting worse and worse, of course, in the Middle East. And you shall become troublesome. This is kind of an interesting verse, verse 25. You shall become troublesome to all the nations of the earth. All over the earth, people are saying, what happened to the United States? We used to look on them as the great nation that sent us food and everything, and now they're sending us these pornographic movies and violence and stuff, and now they're fighting here and fighting there, and they seem to be attacking everybody. And, of course, it's not true. We don't mean it that way. But because of President Bush's adventurism and desire to impose democracy on a people who don't want democracy, and they're not going to have it, they're not prepared for it, it all is going wrong. Is it all because of President Bush? No, it's because of our sins. God has set over us leaders who seem to be blind and don't understand what they are doing. And everything is going wrong. And brethren, again, some of you will say you'll live another three years. Well, none of this happened. No, it's all going to happen in the next three years. I'm telling you in advance. But a lot of it may be happening within four to six years to where you will be shaken And some of it may begin to happen within four to six months. We may have an attack on Iran and a terrible retaliation. Even in the next several months, we're preparing, and our government is preparing some kind of strike against Iran and their nuclear installations in conjunction with Israel. A number of scriptures, a number of clippings, I mean, (laughs) recently on that. And, of course, a number of other things could happen. We could have a terrorist attack while I'm talking. You read about it on the way home. We don't know, but things are going to speed up. But the big events will probably not begin to happen for another four to eight years. But in the meantime, God is giving us time, brethren. He is giving us time. And we do want to heed uh, Mr. Crockett's sermonette. Let's not worry. Let's not go home all fearful. Let's have faith in God. But you've got to have the kind of faith that is there because you do what God says. In the meantime, God is giving us an opportunity. And some of us in our executive team have been thinking and praying about this. He's giving us opportunity to build a strong foundation. And we are now building and preparing many ministers. We're having these leadership programs and ministerial training programs. And now we're having Living University reach out to an even broader group of people all over the world who can begin to be taught and trained in the ways of God, and that will have a fallout affecting the work of God in time. Not right away, but within two to four years, it will begin to show some fruit. I'm sure a great deal of fruit within four years, and you'll see that. I don't mean thousands of graduates, but the impact on those who are taking classes and the encouragement that the brethren will see as people begin to have this training out there. The greater impact of our Internet may become evident even within six months or a year as we increase the power of our Internet. We're laying that foundation, training more ministers, getting the Internet more, getting on more television stations. More and more things are happening to build a strong foundation to where when these big things happen in prophecy, this little work can have an impact way, way beyond what we do today. And God is not causing the dollar to crash tomorrow because he wants this work to carry on for a while. 
That's why that's one of the biggest single reasons, frankly. And I'm sure that you will understand that someday if you don't understand it now. Yes, we're small, but we are the church of the living God. And we're going to do the work of God. And God is letting us lay a foundation to do a very powerful work of warning to our people Israel, of strengthening our own brethren and preparing a people for God, the bride of Christ, and training a whole church body of increasing thousands of people, as we will say, it will increase, to become kings and priests in tomorrow's world. All those things are part of what we're doing. So we do want to realize that. He's giving us a little more time to do that. But in the meantime, these things are happening. And they're happening, of course, uh, very, very powerfully. He goes on to here to say in verse uh, 36, The Eternal will bring you and the king or the president, the leader whom you set over you, to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. We're going into slavery. And there you will serve other gods, wood and stone. And you should become a, an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all the nations where the eternal will drive you. Why would we become that way in a special way? Well, you understand. They'll say, this was the greatest nation on earth. This is the United States. And look at these people over here, the common people. They're not all against us, but they're kind of bugged by us. But their leaders take us into slavery. And here are these Americans over here in these work camps. And they used to be the big shots. And they used to come around chewing their gum and taking pictures of us as tourists. And here they are in our work camps. How did it all happen? What's the meaning of all this? We'll become a byword in that way. He says in verse uh, 31 or 41, You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours. They shall go into captivity. I don't want my sons and daughters to go into captivity. Do you want your sons and daughters to go into captivity? But unless they all repent, some of them will. Some of them will. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The alien, God's not hating the alien. He tells us to be kind to the stranger who's among us. If they're here, we're to be kind to them. But we understand what's happening. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher. They no doubt will take over some parts of the southwest. And other things will happen with other aliens coming in. Many times the Orientals come way on up and have the greatest percentage of admissions in Harvard University and elsewhere because the Americans are so lazy. The American kids haven't suddenly become stupid. They just are hypnotized by the television. They don't study. They've lost the work ethic our kids used to have. They're not driving themselves. They already have fun. It's the fun generation. Fun, fun, fun. And they're not working like they used to. So the alien will rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. That's happening right now, today. He shall be your head, the head, and you'll be the tail. And that's beginning to happen. Moreover, all these curses, that's not a blessing. These curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you're destroyed, finally gone into captivity. Because you did not obey the voice of the eternal your God to keep his commandments, plural, his statutes, plural, which he commanded you. So we need to understand, brethren, and we individually need to turn back to God with all our heart and all our soul. And that will give us true confidence in God that we are doing our part 
And God wants us to do that. And God wants us to take these things seriously, which we certainly must do. Turn to Ezekiel 1, if you would, at this point, to the book of Ezekiel. And we'll turn first to Ezekiel, the very first chapter. Ezekiel 1, Now it shall come to pass in the thirteenth year, the fourth month of the fifth day, as I was among the captives by the river Kabur, Kibar Kabur, among the Israelite captives, as we know, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And it shows how the word of the Lord, verse 3, came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. The word Ezekiel, he was a priest, interestingly. He was a Levite. The word Ezekiel, you know, El is one of the names of God. El Shaddai, God Almighty, and so on. Ezekiel means God is strong. And this whole book is showing God is strong. Don't mess with God, so to speak. So he tells here in this first chapter the greatness of God and describes these powerful appearances of wheels within wheels and so on. And then in chapter 2 and verse 3, he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel. He was among the Jewish captives, but he was sent to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that's rebelled against me, they and their fathers, to this very day. Notice, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I'm sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the eternal God, uh, and as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall they know that a prophet has been among them. Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid. So God says, you have a hard head. <laughs> Tell Ezekiel, your head had better be as hard as their head. You've got to go right ahead and preach it, whether they like it or not. In chapter 4, he says, in verse 1, You also, son of man, take a clay tablet, lay it before you, portray a city. Here's a make-believe city, Jerusalem. And lay siege, like you'd have a big sand pile and make this representation of Jerusalem. And heap up a mound against it, set camps against it. And set a place, uh, and place a battering ram against it all around. And he says, this will be a sign to whom? To the Jews? No, to the house of Israel. Brethren, one thing I forgot to mention, by the way, at the beginning, the book of Ezekiel, virtually all scholars know and acknowledge, was written about 130 years after, get this, after, Ancient Israel went into captivity after. So when he talks about the house of Israel going into a captivity, it must be a future captivity that has never, ever taken place since and is going to happen, as we know, at the time of the end. So this will be a sign to the house of Israel. Does God know the difference between the house of Israel and the house of Judah? Of course, I'm asking this facetiously, but notice verse 4. Lie also on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. And uh, he's done this uh, day for a year. And then he says, when you've completed them, verse uh, uh, 6, lie again on your right side. Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. Oh, he does know the difference. There's the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And through this book, he is talking mainly about our people, the house of Israel. And God said through Jacob, let my name be named on them. That is, Israel was to be named primarily on Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph. 
we are primarily represented as that people, the American and British descended peoples. Then in chapter 5, you, son of man, take a sharp sword, take it as a barber's razor, pass it over your head, your beard, and take the balances to weigh and divide the hair. You shall burn with fire one-third in the midst of the city. One-third of your hair was to be burned when the days of the siege are finished. Then take uh, the other third and strike about it with a sword, and one-third you shall scatter to the wind. So as you see, the indication is, as explained in verse 12, turn over to verse 12, one-third of you shall die with the pestilence. One-third of Israel is to die of disease epidemics in the midst of the city and famine, starvation, and disease epidemics. And one-third would die with the sword. And the remaining third was to be scattered to the winds. The Bible interprets the Bible. And in verse 4, so God tells what was to happen to our people. He does say, if you turn back here, though, it's just encouraging. Back to verse 4, he says, And take some of them again and throw them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the midst of the fire. For all a fire will go out. Oh, I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, no, he says in verse 3, You shall also take a small number of them and bind them in the edge of your garment. And uh, I can't see my Bible so heavily marked sometimes. I need some brighter light. I might get some brighter light up here in the future if it's possible so I might uh, can see this better. But anyway, uh, he, they were going to protect. A certain number were to be bound on the edge of Ezekiel's garment, you see, and protected by God. That will be us. If we're watching and praying, God will protect some of us from what is ahead. But we've got to be watching and praying. Chapter 6, he says in verse 6, In all your dwelling places the cities shall be laid waste, and the high places desolate. In all your dwelling places, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and so on. And in Britain, London, Birmingham, Manchester, Glasgow, and down in Australia, unfortunately, and so on. Our major cities shall be laid waste. God says that and says that very, very clearly. He says in verse 11, pound your, uh, thus says the eternal, pound your fists and stamp your feet and say, alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, famine, and pestilence. You see, it's because of our sins, brethren. That's why these things come. Then in chapter 7, verse 23, turn to Ezekiel 7 and verse 23. Make a chain. For the land is filled with crimes of blood. Is our land filled with crimes of blood? You better believe it. Therefore, I will bring the worst of the Gentiles. And here he is apparently talking about the Assyrians. And they shall possess their houses. And I will cause the pomp of the strong to cease, the holy places to be defiled. Destruction comes. They will seek peace, but there shall be none. Notice now. Disaster will come upon disaster. See, disaster after disaster. Brethren, these things are building up slowly. I know that. They're not all going to happen tomorrow. But when they all do start to happen, it's going to be disaster after disaster after disaster. One thing will impact on the other, and people will be terrified, and they'll cry out, Oh, God, God, what's wrong? Because they won't know. They won't understand. But God help you to understand. 
And God help you, brethren, around the world to understand the great God whom we serve, the God of Israel, is going to intervene, and he's beginning to intervene now to humble us, to lay the groundwork for these final events, to bring us down, to teach us lessons that we will never forget, and then to bring those who are alive back to the land of Israel, and to bring some out of the great tribulation, the 144,000, and to call out many others of us today, now, to have an opportunity to be in the first resurrection, the better resurrection, and to be the kings and priests and the teachers in tomorrow's world. Disaster will come upon disaster, rumor upon rumor. They will seek a vision from the prophet, but the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. The true ministers of God will probably be in a place of safety. There will be nowhere to turn for real understanding for several months. And the people will be in absolute astonishment and confusion and agony. Oh, God, what's happened? Why did our ministers not warn us? Why didn't our people? And yet God can tell them he did warn them. He gave them a chance, but they would not listen. So let's do understand and understand our part that we should do. Brethren, if you would, turn to Joel now, the book of Joel. And I'm going to be reading here in... uh, and get my marking here. Turn to Joel, the first chapter. The word of the eternal came to Joel. He says, Hear this, you elders, give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything happened like this in your days? And, of course, he shows there's going to be locusts and swarming locusts. He said, Tell your children, tell your children to tell their children about this horrible time. He says in verse 13, Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Any true ministers are to do this. Wail, you who minister before the altar. We've got to be shaken by this, brethren, to realize what's happening. That's God's command. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land and into the house of God, and cry out to the Eternal. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Eternal is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. You see, when it does come, God's intervention, the day of the Lord, it's at hand. So even now we can tell you it's at hand. It's not going to be 50 or 100 years off. It's going to be in the next several years of the lifetimes of the vast majority of you. He says here in verse uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 12, Now, therefore, says the Eternal, here's the command to us, brethren. Now, therefore, turn to me with all your heart. And a lot of us sit in church. We don't mean to be bad, but we're just naturally kind of Americans. and We have our television when we go home, and we can take it easy. We can take it easy, buy more things, have more fun. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting. We need to fast more. Some people only fast once or twice a year. As I've said, a lot of you need to learn to fast about once a month. Fast. Turn to God with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the eternal your God, for He is gracious and merciful. You don't have to be terrified, but do your part. And then have confidence in that great God, your Father, your Creator. For He is gracious, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm, and he certainly will. 
Verse, verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast. That's what we're going to do. Call a sacred assembly, gather the people. Verse 17, let the priests who minister to the eternal weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O God. Brethren, we need to cry out to God, the God of Israel, once in a while. Really, just think about it. What did the ancient prophets do? What did their servants? Father, please spare our neighbors. Please help us to get on more stations. Please help us to use the Internet more powerfully. Please help us to have an impact on this world. Help us to say the bridge is blown out down here. Keep Quit going down this road. You're going to fall into the rushing waters. You're going to go into the fire, whatever it is. Help people. Cry out and say, spare your people and do not give your heritage. Israel is God's heritage, as you know, to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why do we need to let the pagans rule over us? Why should they say among the people, where is their God? We don't need to let people say that. We need to reach out with all our heart and all our soul to do the work of God and honor God's name. So, brethren, let's realize what God wants us to do and do it with all our heart and all our soul. Turn again to Luke chapter 21 where we begin. And he said in verse 31... Luke 21, 31. So you likewise, when you see these things happening, I've mentioned 10 things that are happening. I could have mentioned 15 or 20. These are 10 of the most important. Know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass, but my words will not pass. But take heed to yourselves. Remember, take heed lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, some drink too much, some just take it too easy. And with the cares of this life, you just get taken over by your daily life, that this day come upon you unexpectedly, for it shall come as a snare on most people. Watch, therefore, and pray always. And I would ask you, brethren, and urge you with all my heart, remember the four things to do. Four, they're very important. Pray with all your heart. Secondly, study. Don't just read. Study the Bible. Learn to drink into this book and where it becomes part of the way you think, the way you are. Feed on Christ. Thirdly, meditate as you study. Think, what does this really mean? Meditate on it. Think of it. Make it part of your thoughts and your mind and your being. And fourthly, fast. Fast and seek God in an attitude of total submission and humility. And then the fifth, key, and I've often mentioned this and should again make it five, it's more complete, walk with God. Use the spiritual strength that you gain from the first four keys and exercise God's Holy Spirit and walk with Christ and walk with God with all your heart. Then you have nothing to worry about and you can have the peace of God that passes all understanding and you can lift up your head Lift up your head as you see these things coming, for your redemption draws near.